Welcome to the Dare to Move podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Wood, and I'm not your life coach, just a girl who never gives up. Hey guys, today we have one of my really good friends, Hari Ravishandran, coming on to the show. He's an articulate, intelligent, strategic businessman who I feel so lucky to know because his counsel is unparalleled. He's sincere, he's sympathetic, he's compassionate, and you can just tell he's done a lot of work on himself, which is really, I guess, motivating to see because it's one thing to make a billion dollars in revenue and it's another thing to be self-aware and motivated to self-improve. I think all of us listen to podcasts because we want to improve ourselves and what I love about this interview is that you're not only going to get tips on how to self-improve, you know, things from balancing family and work from hurry, but also really interesting strategy about how he purchased various businesses during his tenure at a company called Endurance, which he founded in the 90s. So he had started a company and, you know, he'll tell the story way better than I do, but he started a company basically in college or right out of college. And that company he was with for 20 years. And during his time there, it grew from you know one employee to thousands of employees, like over 2,500 employees. And he is so humble and again, so articulate and able to really explain quite well in layman's terms how he was able to acquire various tech companies and merge them. And it's just really neat. So I hope you enjoy. I hope you take some of his fun quotes away because he has some really, really great ones. We get into meditation. We get into family. We get into how to you know find your truth and how to change paths, all things that I like to discover, discuss, explore on this podcast. So again, his name is Hari Ravishandran. He was former CEO of Endurance International Group, and he's currently founder and CEO of a company called I Subscribed and also Jump Ventures. So Jump Ventures is a company that consists of diverse, passionate team of experts. They are working to scale ideas and innovations while enabling entrepreneurs to become trail blazers. So really interesting that he's got kind of a, a couple different things going on right now. He's trying to, with Jump Ventures, he's trying to basically, in his words, power highly scalable companies by creating, acquiring, funding, and launching innovative businesses. So that is one thing he's doing. And then I would say the other major project in his wheelhouse right now is I Subscribed, which is working on consumer uh, protection. So think things like LifeLock or VPN. And and he's going to tell you more about it. And I, I really hope that you listen through this whole thing because every question I learned something new. And you know he's a friend of mine of five years and I still learned something. So I hope you guys enjoy this. And please, 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 if you have questions, let me know and we can discuss more, maybe even do a follow-up with Hari. So without further ado, I have Hari Ravishandran. All right, well, let's get to it. We are sitting in the new office of Hurry. Hurry, what is your... I've heard there's a little bit of rebranding. So is can I call this the I Subscribed office? Yes, you can. Okay, yeah. awesome. So I Subscribed and you guys are currently here. How long? We have been in this new office since uh, November, I believe. So about 
uh, two months. Wow. So, yeah. Do you feel yeah. at home? Uh, we're starting to settle in. Okay. Yeah, the furniture is all here, so that's pretty nice. Good. Um, yeah. So and you you were originally in Boston for this we were. company. We were. We were in Back Bay. Okay. And how are you feeling today? I feel good. Okay. Feel good. Yeah. Uh, New Year. We're rec- we're recording in February, first of February. I almost yeah. said January. This yeah. will go live later. So, is there anything you want to tell your future self? This goes live. Oh, just enjoy the moment. Ooh, that's we're probably going to get into that more as we discuss. That's an awesome way to start. The one thing I want to start with today, I usually start with a quote, and it's usually a quote that I either agree with, disagree with, or I think fits the person. And based on your background, which we're going to get into today, I thought that you'd have interesting perspective on a series of quotes that I've written down from people that have been very influential in the world of technology and innovation. So the first one is success is delivering much more than expected. And that was Larry Page. And I would like your first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with this quote. I would say, I think it's uh, a lot of sound advice. I think in the world of technology where things get commoditized pretty quickly and what used to be uh, new and disruptive, even three months ago or six months ago, is, is sort of the norm now. You know, delivering things that are beyond what people expect and delighting, uh, especially your customers, with uh, small additions and attention to detail, will make you stick out a bit more. And and uh, if the product or the brand you're building is experiential, where people mm-hmm. feel that there was a lot of attention to detail, it sticks in people's memories and that makes it a much more pleasant experience and great for business. I love that. And I want to talk later on about your approach with delivering, whether you're delivering to client or to business. Uh, I think that's another interesting point we'll get into. Another one that I really liked was from Jeff Bezos, who said, if you can't feed a team with two pizzas, your team is too big. And obviously, I don't have the exact date at which he said that, but I just wanted your take on that because you tend to start small and grow big. Yeah, I think this actually maybe even applies to big companies as as much as small companies, I would say, with uh, the concept there is... When you look at a problem, uh, if it's a big problem you're trying to solve, the scope and uh, range of the problem can be so large that you can't really break it down into pieces. Mm. There's been a big trend in technology where self-sustaining autonomous teams, effectively that can be sort of fed with a box of pizza, they're called actually pizza box size teams uh, anymore, tend to function much more quickly and much more nimble, tend to be much more autonomous. So even if you're solving a big problem to the degree that you can break it down into smaller parts and empower smaller teams, you can make product delivery a lot quicker and get uh, things out the door a lot more, a lot sooner, basically. So I definitely agree with this. Really powerful. Awesome. So, and I personally like this one. Uh, The next one is, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've launched too late. And that was Reid Hoffman. Yeah. And I've spent some time with Reid as well. And I think, you know, this is very in the uh, concept of blitzscaling, which is sort of his new, uh, the new book that he's actually written uh, recently. You know, the concept of speed to market and using customer feedback to figure out if your product is a fit to the market Mm -hmm. is a concept that's been around for a while. And so the general notion here, which I very much agree with, is if you take a year to go build the best product possible, the market could have moved away from you in that window while you were building it. Mm -hmm. So how quickly can you get the most viable product out to market? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he's talking about not waiting too long here to be able to get something out the door, 
and then very rapidly iterate based on what customers are telling you and making the product fit the fit the marketplace. Yeah. I think it's a pretty powerful notion. Yeah, and I also want to come back to that because I think what a lot what scares a lot of people is actually putting something out there. And maybe they're holding back because of the fear of failure, the fear of not being received well. And like you just mentioned, the sooner you get it out there, you can fail. Like we'll put that in air quotes and get feedback Yeah, to just, yeah. like you said, just continue to. Yeah. I, no, I, w- I would say, you know, it's better to get something out there where people uh, can give you feedback, you know, maybe you know, some positive, some negative that can make your product better versus wait to make what you think is the perfect product to get out the door and then customers find it to be something beautiful, but not very useful to them. Yeah. And so I think uh, the cost of uh, doing it with rapid iterations with fast fails is is, is a lot lower, I would say, than uh, taking too long to get something out the door. Awesome. And you know, that, that reminds me of another quote I actually didn't write down, but I've heard I'm sure it wasn't, he didn't come up with it, but it was actually Gary Vaynerchuk who said, uh, micro speed, macro patience. Yep. And that stuck with me. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I really like that. I think uh, uh, small iterations and VaynerMedia very much follows the same model as well, which is uh, lots of testing, Ooh. lots of A-B testing, small concepts, see what the audience is telling you, even when they're doing advertising and media cool. media buying. So that's the that's same, same concept of technology. Um, awesome. Yeah. Really cool. And so the final one is uh, from Jack Dorsey, and it is make every detail perfect and limit the number of details to perfect. Yeah. So I think this is sort of a, a slightly more design aesthetic oriented mm-hmm. uh, oriented quote. And I also agree with this one. I think it, the level of attention to detail, uh, even if you don't have a lot of pieces to focus on, the things you're doing uh, do it quite well. I mean, it's the same way if you're first buying your house the first thing that an interior decorator might tell you is you know if you've got a limited budget just decorate one room but make that room perfect instead of trying to decorate the whole house with lots of sort of you know broad oriented stuff the same concept i think applies to products and technology as well wow i I think everyone is going to pause right now and write that metaphor down (laughs) because that's so analogous to the situation and everyone goes through that. So another question I like to start off with is you're sitting on a plane and someone asks you what you do. And I typically ask that because sometimes someone's business title or their biography is not how they identify. Yeah. So I'd love for you to tell us how you answer. Yeah. I, look, I identify myself with being an entrepreneur. I've okay. been this for the last sort of uh, couple of decades uh, at this point. And really to me, uh, at the crux of being an entrepreneur is being a problem solver, someone mm. that... Uh, sees opportunities and problems that may be small, that may be big, but feels like there is a, a bit of an asymmetry of information where you understand something about that problem mm-hmm. that maybe not that many other people understand. And as a result, you can leverage some skills or building a team to be able to come up with a solution that balances that asymmetry. So that's sort of how I think about being, being an entrepreneur. Well, I love that you said team because... I sat down with a guy um, named Joe Flanagan. He was on another episode with me and he said, the first time I really felt like an entrepreneur was when I started building a team. Yeah. Because it, to me, it just reminds me and hopefully people listening that you can't do it all by yourself. Yeah. But it also, being someone who loves leadership, I think that it speaks to putting the term leader um, on top of entrepreneur, which to me, breeds success because yeah. you're not just in it for yourself. Yeah. No, I, I think that's definitely the case. I think 
certainly when you're starting out and your and your company is very small, a lot of the burden of the work ends up fall, fall you know falling on the shoulder of the person that's actually doing the work. But pretty quickly you find out that you can get everything done all the time and also scale a business. And so uh, working with teams, hiring the right people, setting up the right dynamics uh, becomes very critical very quickly. Awesome. And we will get into a little bit more of that later. Um, But before I want to start with taking us back to your childhood and specifically, I'd love to know any instincts you had. You know, you hear stories of someone having a lemonade stand when they're five. And yeah. and so if you could just tell us a little bit about where you come from and how you got into, you know, your own, or I guess maybe I should say found your entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. But so, you know, my upbringing was probably a little bit more atypical. Uh, I grew up in India till I was 14 uh, years of age. My parents, uh, my dad had uh, moved to the States as a Fulbright scholar, and the requirement for the Fulbright Fellowship was for him to come back to India for two uh-huh. years when he was done. So he came back, and he this was uh, in the, uh, gosh, I want to say late 80s or so, and he came back and he said, wow, I love the U.S., and I would like for my kids to move to the States. Oh, that's awesome. But he couldn't, he couldn't come back to this country for two more years. And so, and he couldn't afford to sort of, you know, make a switch uh, from one country to the other. So I ended up moving to this country on a Rotary Exchange scholarship when I was 14. Wow. And on the way out the door at the airport, I remember my dad telling me that this was a better opportunity for me and someday my kids. And so I should just find a way to live in this country and make a life here. And uh, that's huge to put on a 14 year old. I mean, it's a positive thing, but that's heavy. Yeah, it is. And, uh, but the interesting thing is you kind of, uh, after I moved out here, a lot of the first sort of, you know, five to eight years of my life Mm -hmm. was very much organized around getting educated, making sure that I had an opportunity. Yeah. I had an opportunity to kind of stay in this country and probably around the time that I was about 20 or 21. Uh, I always had a proclivity for computers and technology and engineering. And uh, uh, it actually intersected quite nicely with uh, the dot-com boom when all of the internet was starting to take off. And so uh, the first company I started really kind of married my desire to use my skills with Mm. what was really needed in the marketplace, at which point I'd already sort of... uh, gone through the cycle of getting more settled in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it ended up uh, getting me started down the, the entrepreneurship journey. So. Amazing. I think that you, I know your story because I'm, you know, friends with you and I, you did a really good job of, of telling me some stuff I didn't know, but then also a very abbreviated version. And I'd like to take a step back for the people who may admire your work and have, have more questions. Where did you go to high school and college? So I went to high school when, when, on the Rotary program. You were supposed to live with four... Uh, over the course of one year with four uh, host families where you can kind of get ingrained with the U.S. way of life. And so I ended up landing in uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia when I was uh, a 14-year-old and stayed with four different families. So I went to uh, Martinsburg High School, ended up graduating early because that was one of the ways to be able to 
uh, build roots in this country was to go to college here. Mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, finishing high school when I was uh, 15. 15? Yeah. Wait, <laughs> so, where, where's your education level from India much more accelerated? And did I, it I take you it one must, year? Yeah, or? it took me sort of, uh, yeah, it, it took me a year to finish out the rest of high school. Oh, I've wow. gone through ninth grade in India. Okay. And then so basically I ended up skipping a few grades because oh they were gosh. able to place place me in, the, in the, as a senior. That's incredible. And then I ended up going to college at Mississippi State, which was a state school and, you know, something that uh, was uh, expense-wise feasible uh, for me at the time. And then I ended up uh, going to graduate school uh, at Stanford to study engineering, decided I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. So I dropped out of that program and okay. eventually went back and got an MBA from Wharton uh, back in the early 2000s. So, awesome. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the listeners, I think I could be wrong, could be my mom listening at this point, but a lot of people tune in because I talk about the idea of the portfolio lifestyle and or creating a life or career by your design. And a lot of that takes being in tune with what you're good at and what you enjoy. So you're going to be consistent. So I'm just curious, what about engineering turned you off or told you that you weren't going to be able to, you know, live your truth? Yeah, I know. That's a great question. I think, you know, I remember this vividly, uh, gone through a year of the graduate program at Stanford. I was working at uh, Sun Microsystems as an engineer at the time, designing microchips. and. The thing I realized was I was really proud of the work I was doing there, which mm-hmm. was technically challenging, uh, mentally kind of stimulating. But to me, it just felt like the thing I was working on was one small piece of a chip that then went into a board, that went into a system that oh, was wow. one of 10 systems, mm-hmm. that was one of five lines of business. Wow. And That's so many, yeah, so many layers separated from the consumer that wanted to use yeah. that particular product. And so it just felt like, the work I was doing basically disappeared, you know, mm. inside, you know, so many things that seemed much bigger than this little piece of this little chip that I was building. And so it was an important part of the chip, but mm. nonetheless, it wasn't, uh, you know, making an impact to the end consumer. Wow. And so my journey to entrepreneurship was wanting to be in close contact with our customers, uh, wanting to kind of build things that I could see a direct wow. line between building something and having someone use it. Mm-hmm. learning from that and trying to make it better. And so that that's how I kind of gravitated more towards entrepreneurship. Yeah. I love that. I think that's going to help a lot of people because it's it's a really it's a great example. And I'm curious, so you go to Wharton. Yeah. Did you meet anyone or have a, you know, a professor or someone who influenced you <laughs> to go the route that you did or to lean into your truth that you've discovered at that point? Maybe walk us through just the foundation of your first business. Yeah, so I mean, my, the roots of my first business were pretty humble, I would say. Um, I think I we, know the story, and I, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, and, and to me, at the time, this is sort of when the dot-com boom was happening, uh-huh. and there was uh, a lot of folks kind of moving towards the internet. And I had just, as I was just relaying earlier, I just sort of come to this revelation at Sun that I didn't want to be an engineer anymore. Mm-hmm. I decided to drop out of Stanford at that time because it didn't seem worthwhile for me to kind of continue studying something that I wouldn't practically apply any longer. And as I thought about, well, what can I do that touches uh, the end user of whatever I'm building much more closely, uh, the concept of sort of working for myself and doing something that I could be excited about was, uh, was inspiring to me. But the way I approached it was to say, well, you know, what's the downside of being an entrepreneur versus thinking about the upside. Um, mm-hmm. So I said, okay, well, it just means that, you know, probably you don't get a steady paycheck. You're not sure you're going to, you know, you're going to keep getting kind of money, yeah, money in every month. 
And so the 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 thing I, I looked at was to say, gosh, can I do something that covered my expenses? Because it seems to me that if I did something that I really enjoy that covers my expenses, that everything above that has got to be a positive, right? I like that thinking. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so I looked at my bills, and I think my overall bills were about two grand a month at the time. So I said, "Well, gosh, all I got to do is you know do something with something I love that generates two thousand dollars of income a month, mm-hmm. and everything about that is upside." And so I basically started a consulting business, you know, helping people use the internet better because that was my skill set. Because I was able to marry Smart. my skill set with that, and and I think you know I, I placed an ad. I had about five grand in savings. I used most of that to buy some ads in, in magazines for internet consulting, uh, and basically. It ended up, you know, driving some clientele. And the first year, I think uh, we made about a half a million in revenues because <laughs> uh, it was it was, a, it was a great sort of tailwind. Yeah, and we learned a lot from those customers. So even the Reed Hoffman quote that you uh, talk about, my personal experience is, we got into this business, or I got into this business, trying to do consulting, mm-hmm. trying to solve a different problem, which is I wanted to work for myself. Mm-hmm. And the thing you learn is everybody that came in to use the services had a need to find a technology platform that could host the solutions that that we were building for them. And there really wasn't a good choice at the time. And I thought, well, gosh, we should probably build something for that. And that, that ended up becoming... And you kind of had the skill set. Yeah. And, and we I hired a few people since we were starting to make some revenues. Uh, and then, you know, more and more people started using that platform mm-hmm. and the company started getting bigger. So that's that's how I got started in the last uh, the last wow. journey. Yeah. So question, I have two questions. I remember you telling me that story about the magazine ads yeah. and it, it just, I can only imagine, I, I like felt excited for you when yeah. you said you got your first call. Yeah, yeah. They want to hire you and I can't, I, I know that feeling and yeah. it's so awesome. And so this is kind of a funny question, but do you remember what the magazine ad looked like? Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was really goofy because this is before, like cell phones had just come out. This okay. is, again, we're talking about sort of like 1990, I just had gotten a cell phone. It was uh, uh, mid nineties. And, uh, you know, so I wanted, I needed a phone number. So I put down my cell phone number, mm-hmm. but the name of the company we'd set up or I had set up was called Innovative Marketing Technologies Incorporated. Okay. And uh, so it said, oh, you know, do you need internet consulting? Call Innovative Marketing Technologies Incorporated. Awesome. Uh, and so it was just a little square box uh, okay. inside a magazine ad. And uh, uh, when the customer called me for the first time, it said, oh, is this Innovative Marketing Technologies? And I had to, do a double take because I couldn't remember <laughs> what name we put it put in the put in the ad. Awesome. So yeah, but uh, yeah, that was our first experience. But. I love it. And so my second question is, um, how was it hiring your first person? I think that that's a big move for anybody because you have to think about like this is almost like a marriage. Yeah. Unless they're you know a contractor for a random project, but I, I would love to know like if you had a, if you went on a gut instinct or if you. It was a friend. Yeah, honestly, for me, it was sort of just running out of time. Uh, <laughs> so just you know, we got to a point where Speed, I was just though, working. We talk yeah, about that. yeah. So I think just kind of working twenty hours a day. At some point, you start to kind of hit a wall. Yeah. So uh, my first hire was someone that could write code and kind of do some more programming. And so I went out to UMass uh, Lowell and put up the, the, the yeah the sticky uh, things on the on the wall with the phone numbers at the oh, bottom yeah. that I could rip out and. And, you know, somebody, I think I only had the one call uh, from this one person. <laughs> so it was a pretty easy choice to hire because I wasn't paying very much at okay. the time. Uh, and he actually ended up working with us for a decade or more. Wow. Uh, and eventually now he's quite a successful engineer uh, in the West Coast now. But yeah. Incredible. Yeah. I love that. And I, 
I kind of like to jump ahead because it's a fun question to ask people. Um, sure. Do you have a career highlight? Yeah, I mean, I've had so many kind of along the way, I would say, you know, I think the time that we became sort of really revenue generative uh, mm -hmm. as a company, uh, when we had our first million dollars in revenue was a, was a big highlight moment. The time that we got to sort of a cash flow break even business uh, was another highlight. You know, when we hit, uh, uh, when we hit sort of uh, uh, our first transaction where I sold uh, about two thirds of the company to a private equity firm was a, was a big event. Uh, taking the company public was a big event. Uh, when we hit a billion dollars in revenue, was a big event. So yeah. you know, the, over the course of the career, there's been moments that kind of stick out, uh, stick out as well. So you started was it ninety seven? Ninety seven. And then when you said you sold part of it to the private equity, that was like twenty two thousand and six, two thousand and seven okay. timeframe. The first okay. time that was to a firm called Axel KKR out of the West Coast, uh, and then. We sold it again in 2011 to a firm called Warburg Pincus and Goldman Sachs, which is uh, uh, the private equity arm of Goldman Sachs uh, in 2011 for just over a billion dollars. So that was uh, amazing. Yeah. So was, uh, and so I guess my question for you, I didn't really write this one down. I'm just thinking of it now is when you, when you look at what you did, the company, what was the first name? Of it, the first the, so not the, not from the magazine ad, but then it was the, it was called Bizland, Bizland. Okay. Yeah, for for a little while, and then Bizland then became one of the brands, and we ended up having a bunch of other brands in the business as well. And that was under Endurance Endurance International International umbrella, yeah. And so I would love for you to talk to people about kind of your mentality or your approach or strategy in saying in the way you acquired various companies and why you might say i'm going to acquire xyz and allow them to remain their brand versus saying i'm going to see what they're doing yeah. and compete because that's what a lot of you know successful companies do do is yeah. they try to build it themselves and compete and, and you did the opposite and i think that that would be really neat to learn about yeah, so I think it, it depends on the landscape of the marketplace. So the way our industry had sort of evolved in the hosting spaces, again, my, my previous company, uh, there were lots of smaller players in the marketplace. It was very fragmented. Uh, okay. The industry itself was growing, but not by a lot. Okay. So when you're thinking about sort of, you know, whether you want to organically approach <clears throat> a problem, meaning you see someone doing something, you feel like, Again, you've got this bit of asymmetry of information where you understand something about the problem because either you've had the problem yourself or a close person has had it where you feel like you've got a better solution mm -hmm. than whoever is, is doing it. You want to see if there's uh, a lot of people attempting that in the marketplace and is there enough tailwinds to support many people, mm -hmm. right? In our sort of uh, industry, there were thousands of small players that had each gotten to a few million dollars of revenue, the growth in, inside that marketplace was not significantly high. Okay. So there was a lot of people that were trying to grab share from each other. So the best way to scale or grow in a fragmented industry without a lot of tailwinds, mm -hmm. oftentimes ends up being a consolidation where you can go consolidate various players and get scale and become a larger player inside that space by aggregating other folks and kind of putting them all inside one platform. So that's how we wow. came to this thesis basically. Yeah. I like that a lot. And do you feel like, I mean, the spirit of an entrepreneur in my mind is learn as you go. Yep. And what you just described to me, I don't know where you could have learned that beyond just trying. And yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of uh, elements which are basically, you know, the way I've always thought about the journey is to commit to the path and not oh, to any particular, to any particular point in time or sort of a, a checkpoint, right? So 
So what that ends up giving you the mindset of is you're not particularly sitting there thinking about when do I want to sell my business? When do I want to have an exit? Mm. But you're constantly kind of learning from the journey because you're committing yourself to the path and not committing yourself to a destination or a checkpoint along the way. So what that ends up doing is it gives you the liberty to try lots of different things, see what things work, what don't, and having the ability to then say, okay, well, that worked. And as mm -hmm. a result, I'm going to maybe sort of you know keep on pushing on that and that direction to see how far it can take me wow. and that didn't work so let's kind of put that aside because you're not in a rush to say okay like i gotta get to some place mm -hmm. you know yeah, within oh yeah this is my time. end goal yeah, exactly yeah and so that's how we kind of figured it out we tried a lot of stuff that didn't work and then we acquired a very small company and we ported them to our platform and the financials worked and the technology worked and we thought wow that's not so bad are they more like this okay. and then we said Wow, there's hundreds of these kinds of companies out there. Wow. So then we got better at sort of, you know, uh, building out a funnel, building out a pipeline, reaching out to a lot of the folks that may have these kinds of assets, getting mm -hmm. better at buying them. And so that's sort of how, you know, we went on the journey. So, awesome. Yeah. And did these people, when you reach out to them, did they receive you kindly? Were they nervous? Like, were, there, were, they, gen were they just all different? Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on when in the cycle. Okay. In the early days, I would say with the smaller companies, you know, they always sort of, uh, they didn't know who we were. So mm -hmm. you had to go spend a lot of time with them, have, you know, get to know them as people, have them build get to know you, build up a relationship, build up trust. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had to get comfortable that you could actually afford to buy them for how much ever money they mm -hmm. needed to sell their business. And then in the later stages, after we'd done about, you know, half a dozen of these, even in, a, in an industry like hosting, the word sort of does spread where people mm -hmm. say, hey, these guys are you know, are honest, they're, you know, they're high integrity, they seem very ambitious. So then we would start getting some inbound phone okay. calls from people saying, Hey, I'm ready to exit. Oh, and wow. Then, yeah. And then so you kind of created a business of your, I mean, you had a business, but then you kind of like a business of yeah. aggregating. Yeah, exactly. And then we had, then brokers would start calling in and then we'd have bankers call in and wow. it's a lot uh, of moving parts. Yeah. And then eventually it sort of gets, uh, uh, gets to kind of build a life of its own. And so, Towards the end, you know, it certainly got a lot easier because we'd done so many of these and we had a good track record. And so that, that does help quite a bit. So. Wow. So interesting. And you said something a couple minutes ago about pushing in one direction as far as it could go and yeah. seeing And to me, it, it, it reminds me of being an explorer, you know, and, and there's got to be quite a bit of fear involved in that. And if you read books on Navy SEALs and their approach or their mindset towards fear, or stress and how stress can be used positively and, and the same with fear to a point. Do you believe in that? Do you have any tricks that you used at any point to, to, to actually go out there and continue pushing until maybe you couldn't push anymore? Yeah. Look, I mean, I think a, a big tool for me has always been data because the, the data is a good informant of, you know, Ooh. at what point does, you know, that does uh, strategy stop working and if you can leverage it the right way, certainly there's always, this notion that, you know, failure is a bad thing. And I guess over the years, the thing I've learned is failure is only a bad thing if you don't learn anything from it. Mm -hmm. If not, it ends up being a great teacher. So the more you have the mindset where you're not afraid to fail, but you're more afraid that you haven't learned something from the failure, it makes it a little easier to take a step forward and say, okay, I'll try it. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. As long as I learn something from it and not make that same mistake again, it gives you a bit more courage. And then you can use data to try to bound mistakes as much as possible kind of along the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly, you know, in, in, the, in the first go around, for me, 
basically shutting out a lot of the noise and just focusing on what the data was telling me and uh, at which point are, is the strategy working and not working was a big driver. Uh, and so as long as I fundamentally believed the data and as a result of strategy, it didn't really matter if somebody said, hey, that's not going to work mm-hmm. or, you know, so, so it kind of gives you a, a good set of blinders. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, sort of uh, during this go around, I mean, I think, you know, I use a lot of uh, strategies now, you know, things like meditating, mm-hmm. you know, things like being much more self-aware, et cetera, are also good tools because it gives you a good insight about the person you are and what makes you tick a little bit better and if you have that, you know, in combination with data, I find those to be good tools to to not be as fearful to take the next step, basically. Amazing. And when did you start meditating? I'm curious. It's interesting. I, you know, I have always been curious about it. Uh, growing up in India, that was a big part of uh, the culture there, mm-hmm. but never really practiced it or, or tried it uh, as a as a kid. And I think I would say, in all seriousness. It's been now about two years. Uh, you know, I went out to uh, the Chopra Center with my uh, partner, and we had you know a good sort of a week long experience, kind of getting introduced to it. Uh, I took a meditation class at uh, the Harvard Divinity School that was also a good sort of uh, discourse on theory, and uh, so I've been doing it regularly now for for a couple of years, and it's been it's been a good tool for me. And when do you put it into your day? Uh, morning routine. So usually my routine is. Uh, getting up, you know, grabbing coffee, you know, kind of uh, anything that sort of heats up your system, which is exercise, you know, trying to get that done early and then using meditation as a cool down uh, on the back end before kind of getting ready and getting into work. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt. If you didn't know, I am the CEO, founder, and head coach at Crossroads of Fitness. And our claim to fame is the Dare to Eat Fat Loss Program. I wanted to let you know that we are actively taking on new clients. I have two other lead coaches right now. And if you are interested in losing six to 12 pounds in 12 weeks, we want to work with you. We teach what is scientifically proven to be the sustainable rate of fat loss. And you can check out the links in the show notes that will take you to our program offerings on our website. You can always email me or DM me on Instagram. I am happy to enroll you as a new client. I would love to work with you. If you have any questions, let me know and dare to eat. Do you find that throughout the day you hold on to any thoughts or revelations or anything that you came up with during meditation or try to come back to it? Or is it just a way that sets you up to... Yes, I I think it actually, it's what it it seems to do for me is clear sort of uh, the constant noise in my head for Mm. a small windows of time. And it's really, uh, I mean, so well, I mean... For me, it's been kind of two or three things I would say. One, it helps me get a better sense of the texture of my own feelings uh, in Ooh. some ways where yeah, where, where I feel like, you know, I feel maybe before I sit down to meditate, maybe a little agitated, frustrated, tense, and I'm not quite sure. When I sit in, in silence, it helps me think about what may or may not be driving that or gives me a little bit more insight into that. That's been really helpful. To the degree that I am able to create some headspace uh, mm-hmm. in my own head, that feels like uh, a bit of weight being taken away. Uh, so what I find is the time I spend there, while it may or may not drive big insights during the course of the day or week, it clears up my head enough to 
be more aware of things that seem profound or things that seem important that I should pay attention to. So it gives me a little bit more of uh, of a chance to kind of take a pause and, and, and think about things that are happening during the rest of the day, basically. Wow. I hope that people listening right now are now inspired to, <laughs> but you know, what's interesting is the last three people that, yeah. and I guess last three people that are live as of today, February 1st have bought, brought up that center, yeah. that style of meditation. Yeah. And they are everything from Hollywood actors to salesmen in Chicago. And it's yeah. just so interesting. Everyone who's either read about it, been there, tried it is just, it's been, yeah, it was a, it was a great experience and you, you don't need to go do that. You know, if you, if you don't want to, in terms of, uh, expenses and such and just grabbing a book and kind of, you know, learning about it is one of the great things about meditating is, you know, there's a theory and there's concepts of why it works or why it doesn't. But the fundamental principle of it is do it. If you feel something uh, happening as a result of crying it out. So it's very experiential where cool. you want to, you know, you don't, you want to be very authentic about the fact that you tried something and it drove some benefit or some, understanding for yourself versus doing it because it's maybe a cool thing or something yeah. else out, you know so so and to be able to do that even if you're doing it at the chopper center or in your own living room mm -hmm. you know you're trying the same concept in some ways because there's no real training for it except maybe the the, the basic mm -hmm. uh premise of you know uh, how do you sit and you know uh, that's a good point yeah. awesome and so i'd love to jump into um so for me I think like we had talked about building a team is leadership and I studied leadership in college and it's just something part of why I want to do this podcast to connect yeah. with leaders. And yeah. so I think you're actually at an interesting point from my perspective as a friend of yours in that you're kind of at a stage where you're not doing it all over again, but you are currently building a team yeah. at this new company. And so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about what you're doing and how you're, you know, maybe invigorated by it or excited about it and what steps you're taking that are maybe different or the same? Yeah, no, no, happy to. So I think, you know, as I said, my previous journey was really the the crux of my job was, you know, learning on the job for about 20 years. And there were many things that we got right on the strategy. We had uh, a lot of successful outcomes along the way. Uh, and uh, uh, there were many things we didn't quite get right. Uh, things like, uh, building culture, building uh, high-performing teams, uh, where we got some of those elements right, but not, but not, you know, some things we didn't quite get right either. We, it felt to me like I had this amassed this uh, great body of learning over that twenty-year cycle, mm -hmm. and to me, it was a personal challenge where I said, "Well, can I apply this again uh, to a different problem?" You know, because the first, uh, the first business was around small businesses, helping them use the internet better, you know, mm -hmm. using uh, technology better to kind of grow their business to now switching much more to security and security in the consumer landscape. So would this families. be B2C versus B2B? Exactly. So it's a much more B2C type of a, type of a setup. Uh, and here, the opportunity that, uh, that we see here as a team is the ability to integrate multiple product categories together into one suite of security offerings. Amazing. So rather than sort of, you know, uh, a consumer or a family having to buy <clears throat> four or five. Like a LifeLock and. Yeah, a like well, buy LifeLock, buy Norton, <clears throat> buy, you know, VPN solution, you know, some sort of parental control solution, yeah. et cetera. Okay. Why not buy a suite that does all of these functions for you that protects your Everything. devices and protects all the people in your home, you know, from getting their identity stolen or, you know, uh, info on the, on the dark web. So, so I, you know, that was sort of the premise. So this is a big problem that felt very hairy and it felt like 
a lot of the skills we'd learned through the last kind of 20 years uh, were very applicable to be able to drive, you know, some product integration, some scale yeah. on the marketing side, leveraging capital markets. So uh, that was sort of my personal challenge is to see if I could shorten the journey and build something that to me would feel like uh, a platform that maybe didn't have some of the, the, the same sort of uh, nuanced issues that we had with the previous one, but, you know, kind of have fixed some of those elements. And so, so that was sort of the, the motivating factor. And uh, so in a lot of ways, it's back to kind of being in a startup world. Cool. We started again, uh, I guess about a year ago now, uh, January of last year, mm -hmm. as you mentioned in, in Back Bay. And we uh, launched our first product in September of last year. We raised a, a, about a twelve million dollar round of capital last May uh, with the, with the local venture capital company, and interestingly, we ran into this public company called Intersections back in October that we ended up acquiring and taking private, and just closed out that transaction about uh, three weeks ago. So now our company has uh, almost three hundred seventy people uh, wow. in the business, and but they're not uh, all here in this office. They're not. Are. There's about thirty five here, and we've got about two hundred in DC and about one hundred ten colleagues down in uh, New Mexico okay. uh, as well. So now, you know, given that I've been through this experience once before, uh, we've quickly accelerated out of that, you know, very small startup to now this year we'll do about one hundred fifty million dollars in revenues. So we've kind of gotten some scale and ramp up mm -hmm. and. The good news now, though, is at this stage, I remember quite vividly all the problems we ran into the last go-around. So as we're thinking about building the team, very much of a lot of the, the, the build-out is focused on uh, making sure that uh, we're being mindful of all the things we need to have invested in for the next kind of three to five years as we think about the journey, which... In the first time, I just didn't know what that was. And now it feels like I know a little bit more. Yeah. So. It's like having kind of a cheat sheet or like notes. A little bit. A little, yeah, bit. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. It's a different space. There's different a lot space. to learn, a lot, mm -hmm. lot and different product, all that kind of stuff. But definitely uh, from, from, a people, from a people and yeah. dynamics and sort of the functioning piece of it, uh, mm -hmm. we know the things that, you know, are needed to have some success, but also, you know, making the journey much more pleasurable and enjoyable for everybody involved and working better as a team. Uh, some of the elements we didn't invest in quite as much as we should have the last time. It feels like we're going to try to do a better job this time. So. That's awesome. And um, out of curiosity, are those the companies in D.C. or the company in D.C. and then in New Mexico, will they be um, I subscribed or will they remain another name? Yeah. So it's been, so we're going through the brand architecture now. But okay. currently we have the, the name of the company we acquired was called Intersections. And our company was called uh, I subscribed. So I subscribed effectively engineered the the acquisition of this public company uh, and merged in with the public company to become this new company. So we're working through the naming of the company mm -hmm. now with an agency, but for the time being, the internal name is called Interscribed, which is uh, Intersections and I subscribe I like together, that. but it's just a placeholder until we come up with a better name for it. So Awesome. And is there anything right now that you're jumping out of bed for like regarding work? I mean, it could be personal life too. Yeah. I mean, both, both my personal life and uh, my, my work life has been uh, fantastic on the work life perspective. You know, I'm excited to have a second shot uh, to, be able to, yeah, yeah. to be able to go build something and this time i feel like i'm maybe mildly more equipped to do it than the first sure go around in some ways so that uh, that helps a lot uh on my personal life uh front you know there's uh you know i have a very committed partner that uh is uh, very fun to be with and mm -hmm. a great relationship for a while now and it's uh 
going well and uh yeah we're, we're things are things are going well so awesome and how do you um stay organized and stay balanced between family and business and is there has that been a journey for you is that something that's always kind of been natural it really has been not at all natural for me i would say i tend to over index in any one thing i'm working on so whether it's sort of work when I'm sort of in work mode, uh, I sort of get tunnel vision and just over index and I'm sort of 20 hours a day just thinking mm-hmm. about it, working on stuff. And uh, I would say the first leg of my career, uh, I probably way over indexed to work. And, you know, as I have two young girls now and they are a lot of fun to be with mm-hmm. and, you know, they're very enjoyable, uh, enjoyable age of uh, nine and seven now. Uh, so, you know, to really kind of remind myself to take some time to be able to balance my life out with my kids, with my partner, with uh, family, with, you know, with my, uh, with my parents and, you know, and such has been a very conscious effort for me. It hasn't Uh been something that's naturally flowed. So I've had to sort of open up my mind a bit to learn how to do that better. And I would say uh, it it was not, uh, it was not uh, super natural or easy, but I do find that over time it's getting better. That's good. I think that's hopeful for people listening because I think it's a struggle for everybody. Yeah. No matter what your job is or what your family situation is. Or just if you don't have either, just taking time for yourself sometimes. Yeah, all all three are hard. Actually, in some ways, you need to do all three, right? I mean, you need to feel Mm -hmm. satisfied in your career. You need to feel like there's enough self-care and self-love that you are able to be a better partner, a better father, a better friend, you know, better son or daughter. All those things require for you to take care of yourself as well, which has also been a learning for me over the last sort of really? uh, five years or so, because it's very easy to get enamored or over-indexed with one thing, mm-hmm. certainly for me. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, just uh, telling myself to even be the best professional I can be, you know, being a happy person and mm-hmm. having connected relationships and having a uh, connected sense of family and well-being uh, and feeling happy with my own mental, emotional, and physical state is, is, yeah. is, is quite important. And a lot of these interviews, I talk to people about, you know, all the things you just mentioned, but the people listening always end up wanting to know, you know, what do you eat or what do you do for exercise, those types of things. Is there any like cliff note versions you can give people that are like your kind of rules you live by? Yeah. So, you know, I would say generally, you know, from a, from a very tactical standpoint, you know, I try to eat as healthy as I possibly can. It's not all that easy sometimes when you're traveling, et cetera, yeah. but trying to sort of uh, eat wholesome grains, uh, lots of sort of uh, vegetables where I can, more of a balanced meal, not over-indexed to meat or over-indexed to, to one side or mm-hmm. the other for exercise. Uh, certainly the older I've been getting, I've, you know, I've been indexing more towards heavier weights, uh, which seems to be better for me or high interval sort of uh, intense training, uh, running, which is for the last year or so has been, has been a lot of fun as well. And so I would say, uh, you know, everything in moderation is good because sometimes, you know, uh, I've had windows where I've over indexed to, to exercising too much or Mm -hmm. like, you know, worrying too much about food. And then all of a sudden that becomes a dominant element in your brain, which can make you under index in other parts of your life. So just trying to keep all three in mm-hmm. check with uh, with work, with uh, self care, and with uh, personal relationships and connections uh, mm-hmm. has been sort of my big sort of uh, journey. I would say the last uh, last uh, three to five years. Amazing! So. I think that's so important for people to hear too, because 
they might look up to you and think, wow, it's really nice to know that he's, that's something he's, that's like the same thing I'm working on. We're all kind of, because nothing is ever static. Yeah. And and it changes and and the kind of exercise, the kind of Mm self-care might change, but the concept of, you know, taking care of yourself, your loved ones, and, you know, you're lining up your capacity and capability with the work you're doing are all to me seem like uh, if you're off balance in any of these things, your life just kind of gets, uh, or my life has gotten off kilter in the past. Yeah. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, um, I'm curious if you have one, um, I have two questions left for you. And I'm curious if you have um, a definition or idea in your head of what the word success means. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, for a long time, if you are an over-indexed person to one dimension, so let's say, you know, professional success, right? Uh, for me, I would have defined success by the size of company I created, mm-hmm. the title I had, you know, the amount of wealth that I created for myself and others around me. Like those, those might be definitions. And I've been through those cycles. And the thing I've learned for myself is, you know, having many of one dimension of life, you know, whether it's wealth or power or success with being under indexed in other areas of your life, like, you know, personal connections, love, and having time for yourself, you know, doing things that you're passionate about beyond just your job are just as important because having too much of one, you know, doesn't doesn't kind of mm-hmm. make you happy. So to me, you know, finding that balance in life where you feel that all of these things are working in concert, where you've Ooh, got I a like life that. you've created, uh, where you don't feel overly lacking in one dimension or the other uh, is how I think about success now. It's not just about, you know, going out there and building the biggest business you can at the expense of not spending enough time with your kids or loved ones or at the expense of uh, not taking care of yourself because uh, for whatever reason, now you're sleeping two hours a night instead of, you know, a regular amount to be able to get yourself to recharge. So I think to me, success is having that balance across multiple elements of your life that in total, uh, create a sense of feeling happy, feeling mm. peaceful, a sense of well-being, a feeling of lightness, and and keep on working to, for me, it's been to keep on working to find the right amount to invest in each of these dimensions that as a whole is driving, driving a lot of utility. So, so well said. That's incredible. <laughs> you spent some time thinking about it. I, I think we all think about it. I think so. I think so. Yeah, we should. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And who inspires you? Like who is a, maybe the first person or someone this, to this day you come back to thinking about? Yeah, look, I mean, I think at different phases of my career, I've had people that okay, have inspired me cool. in different ways. I would say when I was first getting started, people that had the courage to leave their jobs and go do uh, <laughs> a new startup, you know, that, that was always inspiring yeah. to me. Uh, and I would always think, wow, like, yeah, that's a big leap of courage. And back then, there were a lot of people out in the valley in 1997 timeframe that were that were doing that. And then, you know, as I was going through sort of a scaling phase uh, for my business, I, you know, I sort of have looked at uh, entrepreneurs like my friend Thomas Gorney, who has been a serial entrepreneur for a long time, very focused on building businesses the right way without taking shortcuts. You know, very sort of. Uh, you know, uh, obsessed about the kind of products that he builds, et cetera. He's built uh, several companies, including his latest ones called Nextiva, which I, I suspect will be uh, a massive success at some point. Uh, I know. It already is. And then I would say, you know, as I have sort of grown and thought about products, I always find myself 
anchoring back to Steve Jobs and sort of the passion for products and the passion for making something simple. It was interesting. I was reading the Walter Isaacson book and they had a scene in it, which always stuck with me, which was when Steve Jobs got, he, he was so obsessed with products and building great products. That's all he would ever think about. He was just very obsessive about it. And I think at one point he had gotten sick and I think they, they took him to the hospital with the oxygen tank oh, yeah. uh, to sort of uh, for breathing. And even though he was sort of in a delirious state, he would wake up and say, this tank just isn't designed right. It's not. Oh my it's, God. Not, it's got, it's got to be redone. It's not. And I thought, wow, this person is, you know, so, so passionate about the kind of things that he builds. So I yeah. found that inspiring. I mean, finally, the one thing I would say is uh, off late as I've connected more with my family, uh, there are even attributes of, people very close to you that sometimes you miss. Mm. Uh, and my father's been uh, going through some challenges with his health and I see how he reacts to adversity and wow. how positive he stays about, you know, potential outcomes and how positive he stays about life in general. And I find that quite inspiring as well. So that is incredible. Um, could you leave us with any advice to entrepreneurs or anybody that's about to make that leap that you just described, you know, leaving their job or starting or creating something? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the simple thing I would say is it's okay to dream big and, but you have to operate in two modes. Uh, you know, so, you know, dreaming big is very important and having an, a view and an inspirational view of, you know, what, what are all, possible, what's the art of the possible, I think it's very important to be able to be passionate about something you're working on. But you also need to temper that with small steps. It's almost, you know, thinking about the next dollar of revenue you're going to generate. And when are you going to make the next billion dollars of revenue at the same time? And I think that really helps because, you know, to make a billion dollars in revenue, you have to start with dollar one. And so if all you're thinking about is the billion dollars, then you never take the first step. So if you can dream big, but then really think about what's the very small next step I'm going to take, Mm -hmm. you find that the capacity that people have is immense and people don't give themselves enough credit to take the first step because the concept of making that billion dollars of revenue is so daunting and big Mm -hmm. that you never sort of, you know, exercise your full potential. So I think this notion of thinking big and, and dreaming big but also thinking a lot about the next few steps you're going to take to start to build up that momentum has served me well. And maybe it'll help, uh, help some of the folks listening to this as well. I can't say anything more. <laughs> That's so incredible, right. Hari. I Great. think it's actionable steps. People are taking notes right now, I'm sure, and just feeling really empowered because like you said, people are capable of a lot more than they realize. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to have you on today. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you for having me, Garrett. And congrats on your your engagement. Thank Uh, you. Very excited for you. I'm excited. Is there any place that you would like people to find you? Because I put links in the notes, whether it's your business or anything, I'm happy to share that. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you go to jumpy.com, there's a, mm-hmm. a link there with the, with details to send email or hurry at isubscribed.com is the, okay. the other easy way to get a hold of me. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Well, and thanks, um, I hope that 2019 is incredible for isubscribed and intersubscribed. Interscribed. Interscribed. <laughs> yes. Okay. Awesome. And, and you as well. And to your listeners, thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. If you guys are putting up your preach hands and nodding your head yes to things that are said either out of my mouth or out of my interviewees' mouths, and you so, so, so relate, we would absolutely love to see you post about 
our podcast in your Instagram stories. Please also comment on our Instagram Dare to Move podcast posts. If you do a post in your stories three times and you comment on one of our podcast posts and you give us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you are using, we will be rewarding one lucky person every month with a $100 gift card to Amazon. Your comments, your feedback, your critiques, and your reviews are so helpful to us. So thank you for those of you who have done them. And please, please, please help us out if you are enjoying our content. It helps us out when you share it with your community and when you tell iTunes that we're doing a great job. So please comment, please share on Instagram in your stories, please comment on our Dare to Move podcast post and we will enter your name into a drawing for a hundred bucks. Easy money, guys. Thanks again. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to connect, you can reach me at Garrett N. Wood on Instagram or the podcast Instagram at Dare to Move Podcast. Imagine that. I hope you have an amazing day. And just so you know, our podcast is where we explore all the productivity hacks, business scaling tools, and unique characteristics and personality traits of entrepreneurs leading the way in the portfolio lifestyle. Get inspired, gain actionable steps, and feel like you're connecting with genuine people who are making an impact all by way of careers which they designed. And that being said, if you are someone doing any of the aforementioned, I would love to have you on the show. I obviously explore my network and reach out to the people I know, but I want everyone to have an opportunity. So do not hesitate to reach out and request an interview. And let me know if you know somebody who you think would be really exciting for the Dare to Move podcast to interview. I hope you have an awesome day. And as always, dare to move. Dare to move.